have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter number two. I just want to thank the person who straightened up the rug here. Uh, up here. This rug was crooked for the last seven weeks or so, and, and now it's all nice and straight. Thank you, because my back couldn't do it. Um, I wanted to do it. Um, I just might have mentioned it to one person. I'm not going to embarrass him. But thank you for making this. You know, if things aren't, I don't want to be preaching on a crooked rug. Um, I, I don't think that would be good, you know. Uh, early on, when I was talking about leadership, I used to say, stay on your own rug. You know, this is my rug. Um, this is my responsibility, so to speak. And sometimes leaders try to go over into other people's leaders. And, and if we just kind of take care of our own rug, it'd be good. But the last seven weeks, I couldn't do that. Um, so thank you so much. Philippians, 18 different times. Christ is mentioned in chapter 1. If nothing comes out of this message this morning, I want you to know that sitting in a prison, Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, focusing on Christ. I think this is where our attitude would be completely changed in anything that we do if we would focus on Christ. And so just for a few minutes, it's 11 o'clock, about 11.32, I'll be done. And so I think it'll be important for you to understand, just for the next 32 minutes, if you could give me uh, your attention to place your mind on Christ, not on the cares that you have or the burdens that you bear or the responsibilities that you are trying to fulfill, but just for a few minutes, if you could give me the grace of focusing on Christ, I think you'll understand chapter 2 a little bit better. Um, and so I hope I can explain it to you. I, I think really that we're facing many personal problems and battles in our life really at this particular time. Um, and some of you are aging like me and you do have more cares and more concerns. Someone in their late 80s or early 80s, I think, came to me and said, it's so hard to let go. Hard to let go of the things of this world, things that you have put time into, whether it was a business or whether it was your dream home or whether, whatever it was. Uh, these things, you have to be careful that you do not hang on to them too tightly. We face battles and we face the battle in our homes to keep things orderly so things function peaceably. I understand that. We face battles in our own workplaces so things fall together and that we may work sufficiently and efficiently. And if you own a company or work for somebody that you really care for that does, and we need to be careful with all of this. And we face these battles, if you would, in our church, and we confront them in so many function uh, effectively and some func function ineffectively really because of not willing to prepare. Let me just say this about fundamental independent Baptist churches for a minute. I love fundamental independent Baptist churches. Amen. There is a, a, a thing going on right now. What's wrong with them? I think I'm going to write a book. What's right with fundamental independent Baptist churches? Because the list would be a whole lot longer than their complaint. I know that there are problems, and there are problems in every institution. And so if you think that any institution is not going to have problems, then you're living in a dream world. 
And because of it, I feel like I need to change my message tonight. It's going to be on bitterness. Because if you're not careful, dear friend, your expectations are going to be stripped from you. And you can become bitter. And if you do, you'll defile many. So how do we handle this? I think we need to be more biblical in our own personal walk with God and not just structured in a way where people look as if, wow, this is a spiritual person. Look what they've done. Did you realize that what you did yesterday has no bearing on what you're going to do in the future? So, a thought will reap an action. If you sow a thought, you will reap an action. And if you sow an action, then you'll reap a habit. And if you sow a habit, you reap a character. If you find somebody with character and integrity, it came with their thoughts. That's where it all began. And of course, you sow a character and you reap a destiny. And that's not mine, that's somebody else's. But if you think about that for a moment, everything goes back to your battle that goes on within your own mind. And sometimes people battle things that we don't see going on in the brain. We may battle with habits that cause us harm sometimes if we're not careful. I have a problem with battle, the battle of the bulge because uh, I'll tell you, I look at a menu and I gain weight. It's just, it's amazing. If I see a hamburger on a sign, I, I, I feel stuffed because I've already eaten it in my mind. You know, if we're not careful, our minds can uh, take us. Yeah, go ahead and bring that up if you would. I don't mind just coming up here and interrupting a little bit. doesn't matter because my I'm only on one steroid a day. So it's not so bad. Before I was on six, it was a little hard to swallow. So but I sent to one of my college friends that I was on steroids. And he sent me he sent me Arnold Schwarzenegger picture. <laughs> yeah. So Gary Gomer, if you're watching, thank you for that. But I just wanted to kind of focus in on the battle of the brain for a minute, the battle of the mind. So we battle these habits, and so some people have them, and I do have mine, to be honest with you. My mind seems to fall into, you ever have like a bicycle and you're riding along and you fall into a rut? You ever have that happen to you and you want to get your bicycle out of that rut? Or maybe your car goes off the road. Sometimes my mind will go into a rut if I'm not careful. I think you can determine whether it's a rut or it's a root problem. And you're praying that the rut problem will be taken care of. The root problem only Jesus can take care of through the blood. But I want to just kind of encourage you concerning this. I heard about a pastor that lost all kinds of weight. And he, because his biggest battle was donuts. And so he's heading to church one day and he passed the Dunkin' Donuts. They're, they're the ones that are screaming out. You've probably seen their pictures and probably drank their coffee. But he said to himself, Lord, I will only stop if there's a parking spot right in front of the door. And it took 10 times to circle the parking lot until the <laughs> spot opened up. The brain weighs about three pounds. Two and a half to three pounds is all your brain. 120 trillion different nerve endings. Can you imagine? We have an awesome God. You think computers are incredible? The human brain is incredible. I'm not a neurologist or anybody that actually has studied medicine, but I'll tell you, if I was, I'd probably write a track concerning how big our God is. But the brain is a wonderful organ. It's 
someone said this, I think it was Robert Frost. He said it starts working the moment you get up in the morning. It doesn't stop until you enter the office and sit down. And then everything seems to stop. The Bible's very clear about imaginations and thinking and does speak of it quite often. I think one of the most quoted verses in my own mind are found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And, and 3 through 5 says this, For though, though, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of the strongholds. This is where Reformers Unanimous got their ideas from, was from the Word of God. The next verse says, Casting down imaginations that every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so even now, I think you understand that obeying the Scriptures, obeying Jesus are the same thing. So he go to the scriptures and say that if I place then my thought life under the canopy of the grace of God, if I cast my imaginations, the Greek word for imaginations is the word reasoning, and so people can reason away if they want to. You ever meet someone like that? They are perfect in everything. And they'll, they'll reason, I don't even argue with them. They will reason everything away from looking at them in the mirror. And you just pray that God would show them who they really are someday, that God would change them because you can't change them. I say that sometimes to families because some ladies will say, well, I wish my husband would change or the wife would say, um, I wish my husband would change or my, my, my husband would say, I wish the wife would change and so on. If, if God can't change them, you can't. Okay. So give them to God. You say, well, I want to change my child. Give them to God and, and fast and pray for that child. But there is the battle and the battle is the battle that we must fight. And I think we need to be encouraged with this instead of being discouraged. God called us to the winning side, and so we must fight the good fight. And so we arm ourselves then mentally, if you would. And so when we're talking about the brain, we're talking about the mind, we remember what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 1. He said, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh... Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. So you go on to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ in turning to our hearts to, to be able to think properly, placing the word of God within our hearts so that we know we can draw that out into our mind. The Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 8, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, for an helmet, the hope of salvation. And we understand in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about how that we ought to put on the helmet of salvation. To what? To protect our mind, if you would, of the things of this world. So when we speak of the mind or our minds, we're talking about our brain or we're talking about what we think with. And so the battlefield really is in our thought life. And so you're sitting here right now and maybe this is your mind. The first one that I want to talk about is the distracted mind. You're already thinking about what lunch is going to be. You've already left me, if you would. And you're out there and you're trying to get a project done. Little things distract these people. They're able to look at things and look you in the eye, but they're thinking about something else because their mind is being distracted. So we are among people, and there are some in here that have distracted minds. 
There are some in here that have depressed minds. No matter how good things are in your life, you're depressed. No matter how good and positive things are going in the home, you come in with a dirge. You pull in the driveway and say, oh, I'm, I'm home again. You walk into the workplace and they go, oh, there he is again, Mr. Down and Out and full of depression. So there are, if you would, understanding this, that there are distracted minds here, there are depressed minds here, but there are also double minds. Yes. Double minds comes from a two-hearted person. I really don't believe that the lost person can be double-minded. I believe Christians can be because you know you have Christ within you. You know that you're supposed to be doing certain things. And through the years, you've been pushing away what you ought to do and finding excuses to blame somebody else. And you become double-minded. You'd like to go ahead and play with the world a little bit and then come to church on Sunday morning. You'd like to be able to look and act and listen to the same music, the world, watch the same TV shows, read the same books. Go ahead and be in tune with you with Hollywood. Watch their movies and then act like you're okay or sing a good song or whatever. Let me tell you something, dear friend. Either you're going to be double-minded or you're going to be single-minded. Yes. Focusing on the Lord. This is a battle, isn't it? But there are distracted minds here today. There are depressed minds. There are double-minded people here. There are also dirty minds. Everything is perverted. As soon as you say something, that mind says something else that's perverted because their minds are full of perversion. And, and I'm not talking about and picking on anybody individually here today, but I'm saying that these are the kind of minds that are here among us today. And so we have to be gentle to understand what kind of mind do I have? Is my mind in, 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 like the mind of Christ? Well, the scripture says in verse number five, let this mind be in you. Talking about letting it happen. You can have the mind of Christ. And you can think like Christ thought. The apostle Paul was writing to the people at Philippi and letting them know that their joyful fellowship in life depends on their minds and how they need to protect their thought life. And I really think there's two, maybe three major mindsets here in the passage that will bring out the maintaining the joy within the church. And the first one is like-mindedness. I think in church to be healthy, there needs to be like-minded people. We have the same goal. Do you ever hear somebody say amen in church? You ever hear that? You see, it happens way down in here, you know, somewhere. And it kind of moves its way up to the mouth, you know. Kind of goes up from the stomach and then... Amen. You say, well, did I say that? You know, and that's something that actually is a good thing because you're saying I'm like minded. I'm saying so be it. I'm saying, yes, I agree. Uh, sometimes when we have people say amen, it means that they're like minded. What produces like mindedness, I, I think, is 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 also produces lowly mindedness. Lowly mindedness is when we're talking about humility. But let me just give you the motivating Factors that influence the believer's thought life in verse number one. And let me just use that for the main point, if I could. I, I would say, if you're taking notes, motivating factors that influence the believer's thought life is found in verse number one. And so if you look at verse number five and you say, well, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and then it goes on to explain what Jesus was like, I also believe if you go back, and you read the first four verses, you're understanding a little bit more about what he's talking about. Let this mind be in you. Because if this mind was in you, then you're going to be able to understand who Christ is. 
and walk with him. So the first thing we see in verse number one, it says, if there, and by the way, in, in the Greek structure, um, we could read this verse a couple of ways. Let me just read it to you in the English plain um, King James Bible. If there be, if, 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 if there be therefore, because of what was said earlier, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies. Now, if you look at that verse, you would say, um, that it's saying it's a supposition, so if we have this. It's true, because of the word any is mentioned four times. You can circle those, any, 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 four times. So any, any, okay, so if you take the way the any, and you don't have Christ living within you, then really this, this is really, it doesn't mean anything to you. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, since this has happened, these are the things that you have. And so he's writing this letter out to the church at Philippi and saying to them and motivating them that these are the influences of the believer that will help them to be able to be like-minded and have lowliness of mind. If there be these things, any consolation in Christ, what does that mean? Well, I think really if we talk about consolation, we're talking about a comfort but we're talking more than that. If we were thinking about strong consolation, then we would go to Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, same word, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. But we also see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 16, we also see an everlasting consolation. So we have not only a strong consolation, but we also everlasting. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 16 says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. So what does consolation mean? Well, a better rendering in English word but it would be exhortation, if you would. If there be any exhortation in Christ... And so we have this indwelling presence of Christ that is a perpetual internal consolation, exhortation to correct us and to guide us. That's part of what he's saying here, that we have Christ with us, that indwelling of the Spirit of God to be able to give us what we need to to continue on. Some of you sense this when there's good preaching. Some of you are sitting there and you're hearing somebody preach the word of God and you're agreeing with it, and pretty soon your heart wants to leak through your eyes. It's part of having a tenderness for God, and you sense the Spirit working within you. And that's the Holy Spirit guiding you. That's Christ in spirit form in you, the Holy Spirit, giving us that desire. And so we have the indwelling presence of Christ. That presence stimulates us. It quickens us. It is the life of the Christian soul. And it is that life that is, it diffuses, is diffused through, through, through all the members of the body, if you would. And through all the branches of the one vine. And remember that he is the vine and you are the branch. So stop worrying. When I look at a tree this morning, the branches weren't going, oh my, what am I going to do? I don't know if I'm going to be, everything is based on the vine, if you would, not the branch. The vine is fine. Jesus Christ is fine. You are the branch. So remember to rely upon him. Stop worrying so much. America, stop worrying. 
God's got everything in control. You know who needs to worry a little bit this morning? The people of Afghanistan. The Christians of Afghanistan. Will any country help them? You know what their desire is, really? It's not Afghanistan, it's Israel. How can we get to Israel? I'm so thankful I live in America. Is it important for us to pray for America? To be saved? Absolutely. The last beacon of light throughout all the world. America the beautiful. I still believe in that. I think it's important for us to understand, though, that the branches really need to be careful because we need not worry. We're part of the vine. And so, really, their spiritual life is one. Unity aids its development. Discord distunts its growth. When I'm talking about the body of Christ, I'm talking about not only those that are going to church. Going to church is the gathering of the church. We are the church. We're the called out ones. We understand that. But we're called out of the world to gather in assembly like this one to be able to open up the scriptures and understand what they say so that we can live the kind of life we need to live. So first of all, if we're looking at this particular verse, we see what consolation we have in Christ, consolation. But it also says that we have comfort and love. Look, at there. therefore, any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, love is so powerful. I was thinking about some of the refugees coming into Camp Douglas. What's going to change their hearts? Christ. And how can we show them the love of Christ? How can we show them authentic love? It's our responsibility if the mission field comes here, if if God allows that to happen, we must show them. And that enduring love that God gives to us, we can show them how much he loved them and gave himself for it. And if you compare the two understandings of, of what they think as far as religion... They look at Christianity and say, oh, my goodness, a God who laid his own life down. So we have this comfort of love, a comfort that comes springing out of love. So love is the subjective result of the presence of Christ and an objective reality. And with love, then, comes comfort. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 5, verse number 1. Whoso believes in Christ, that, that Christ is born of God, and everyone that loves him that begat loves him also that is begotten of him. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous to us. It's something that we want to do because we love God. We love him and we desire to do what is right. So the, the, the felt comfort of Christian love is what is needed. I was thinking this morning and preparing this a little bit extra on it this morning that, that love is the bond of unity. It is the, the bond of unity within the home. It, it's between the husbands and wives first. And, and by the way, if you think you're going to grow up Christian, good, godly kids without mom and dad being on the page, it's not going to happen. You're going to try to, and, and they'll glean some things from some other couples, perhaps, but moms, listen to me, and dads, listen to the show that you love each other, and, and make sure that your love, you know, God is up here, and here's mom, and here's dad, and you draw toward God, you'll draw close together, and your kids will see that. 
You want harmony in the home, mom and dads? Then love one another and show the children, and then you'll have a church full of people who love each other. But I was thinking about this morning, and I put down here that the mutual love of Christian binds together the Christian church, and the truest joy springs out of love. Love comforts and blesses with a holy joy the heart that entertains its sacred influences. The experience of the blessedness of Christian love should draw Christians nearer to one another and ever closer and closer union. The Bible talks about that in Colossians chapter 3. We read so many of these verses, but toward the end or toward the middle of the chapter of Colossians 3, this morning in Sunday school, we were reading them. We just read a few verses. It says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. And if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on love or charity. That's love with shoes on, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Because love ever gives, forgives, outlives, ever stands with open hands. And while it lives, it gives, for it is love's prerogative to give and then to give and give. So love has so much to do about really what's going on within the heart. It's not nothing about really feeling, if you would. Young man said to his father at breakfast one morning, Dad, I'm going to get married. How do you know that you're ready to get married? Asked the father. Are you in love? I sure am, the son said. How do you know that you're in love? Asked the father. Well, last night, I kissed my girlfriend goodnight. Her dog bit me. I didn't feel any pain at all. Must not have been a mailman. Sometimes we think that it's all about feeling, and it isn't, dear friend. It's about truth. And if you read 2 John, you'll see that truth and love, it's almost to the place where truth is elevated. Because I'll tell you what, if I really love you, I'll tell you the truth. If I don't love you, I will hide things. And I won't tell you the truth. So second, thirdly, but then we have the fellowship of the Spirit. We see that in here. We see these are part of it. It's necessary for us to go through them. I should go rather, rather quickly. We have the fellowship of the Spirit. What is this talking about? Joint participation, really, with the Spirit of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse number 14, in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And sometimes when you think about the Holy Spirit giving us that, that kindness and that needed comfort, it comes from the Spirit of God. Number four, we also see in this particular verse, we have the tender emotions and compassion. If you would, look at the Old English. If we have fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, what that's talking about really is having an understanding that we have an emotional compassion toward other people that were moved within the heart, the tender feelings of the Christian heart. The life of Christ is the soul, the presence of the blessed spirit. Lead the disciple to imitate his Lord, to learn his tenderness and his compassion. And Paul's asking the church at Philippi to show their love and their compassion for him by living in unity. 
And if these spiritual truths are real facts to you, he says, verify in your own experience, fulfill you my joy, be of one spirit in your heart toward one another. These are the motivating factors that influence our thought life in the Christian circle. And so if we have verse number one in tune, we understand that you're going to be able to fulfill you my joy, that you be like-minded having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Look at the oneness that's there. But he's going on to say, let nothing be done through his strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. So you have in verse number two, the like-mindedness. In verse number three, you have the lowly-mindedness. Really, you have the love-mindedness also wrapped up into an understanding that if I have these things within my, my domain, my, my home, my heart, my, my, my responsibility, then God is going to bless it. And he's saying, fulfill you my joy by understanding you have all of this in Christ. Yes. Not left alone. And so then we have the manifestation, if you would, or the manifested fruit that identifies the believer's, the believer's thought life. And so there's going to be an automatic like-mindedness. There's going to be the lowly-mindedness and the love-mindedness. And so the opposite of all that God desires from us it's selfishness. It's the complete opposite. Yes. We're living in a self-centered world. And I don't want to talk about the world because we know that. You pull out of here and people cut you off or whatever on your way home. They want to get into the drive-thru before you. Sometimes you're trying to park at Culver's and you can't find a spot because people are just like on their phones and they're in their car, not thinking about anything else but themselves. Yes. And you're trying to get to the drive-thru at Culver's and you start crying because you can't get there. But really, selfishness is the root of sin. Selfishness is living in and for ourselves. It manifests itself in various aspects. First of all, in our thoughts. Get this. Three minutes left. Self becomes the largest figure in a man's conception of the universe. The shadow of self lies across everything else. The merits of self are magnified in pride. Vanity craves that admiration, admiration of others for oneself. Self-worship makes a man prejudiced in holding to his own opinions and bigoted in rejecting those of other men and will have a tendency to be a very lonely person, a person in his thought life being selfish, will someday live in an apartment through his 70s, through his 80s, and into his 90s by God's grace, all alone, yeah. with just Fox News to keep him busy. That's all. Selfish also in feeling. Self-love fills a selfish man's heart. He has no grief to another's trouble, no pleasure to another's joy. He may fake it. Instead, he's feeling as a member of a great body moved by the common pulse of a common life. He is likely a solitary cell, de detached and self-concentrated in his feelings. And he may give a $5 bill once in a while, but that's only in his surplus. Then an action Self will becomes the predominating energy and self-seeking, the prevailing motive. It is extreme development that becomes positively cruel. 
a pursuit of one's own pleasure through the pain of others. Now all this is sinful in the sight of God and man and frightfully injurious to society, war, crime, intemperance. All springs from some form of selfishness. Fight it, dear friend. Because in order to have the mind of Christ, you will not be able to be selfish if you have his mind. Look what the Bible says in verse number five. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And it began with mom and dad at the age of 12 when he came back and they found him in the temple. And from that point on, he was obedient to his mom and dad. And even Hebrews tells us that Jesus himself had to be obedient and humble himself. Pretty powerful that this mind needs to be in us. They need, they need the hour. It's verses 5 through 8. It's the need of the hour. But let me just read to you, Wherefore God also hath, verse number 9, highly exalted him and given him a name of every name, that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, not Buddha, yes. not even Allah, right. the name of Jesus. Amen. The name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things like, do you know why? Because he created all things. And he deserves the preeminence. Yes. I think what's interesting is if we look at verse number 13, for it is God which works in you both to will and to do good, his good pleasure. He gives you the will and he gives you the power to do it. Where's it coming from? Comes from him, the need of the hour. There is a battle for your mind and for your brain. Without God, your thoughts will be in a never-ending battle. So I battle with my thought life, Pastor. Then get into the scriptures. Every time you have a bad thought, say, I'm placing this thought underneath the canopy of God. And I'm saying, God, I don't know where that thought came from, but would you please, I submit this to you, would you forgive me for it? And he will give you the strength to move on. He'll take it away. Let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. That the mind of Christ involves humility. Humbling action will bring, will bring glory to God. Humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than other people, nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It, it, it means freedom from thinking about yourself in any way at all. Yes. It's thinking about other people. That's a humble person is going to be thinking about you. And Jesus Christ is that man. And he is that example because he walked all the way up those roads up to the cross and he laid himself down and they, they beat him to a pulp. He did it for you and I. Didn't have himself in mind. He had you in mind. And the Bible says, of course, let this mind in you. And finally, my brother, and whatsoever things that are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And the only way that you can have the mind of Christ is to go to church. No. no. Gathering right now is not giving us any grace. You are here because God gave you grace. 
But maybe you haven't experienced it yet. Maybe you have a head knowledge of who God is, but it never came to your heart yet. I was thinking about an individual this last week that I want to get to, and I was thinking, how could I take a verse and show him that it's not just about going to church, it's not just about memorizing certain things or creeds or whatever. How can I get him to understand? And the Lord seemed to take me to John chapter 1. To them gave he power to become the Son. To as many as received him, it's going from the head knowledge to saying, now I know what I need to do, and taking in, what was that definition of faith, Brother Mauricio? What was the definition of faith? Just making the decision. I'm going to receive you, Lord Jesus. I believe, and now I receive. Is that you today? God wants you to come. Come to him. Maybe you've never made that decision. Today would be the day that you gave your heart to him. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just for a moment. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, the, the message is what I needed today. I've been thinking about everything but what I needed to be thinking about. And I see that the Apostle Paul had Christ on his mind. But I need your prayers. I'm saved. But would you pray for me? that I would have the mind of Christ. Is there anyone like that? Say, I'm struggling, would you pray for me? I'm saved, but I need Jesus Christ on my mind. Lift your hand, thank you. Lift your hand if you, thank you so much for the honesty, thank you. And maybe you're here today and you never put your faith and your trust in God and in Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus said, For in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. He's basically telling us that you need to take a step further from just knowing that there's a God. You believe in Jesus also, that God sent his Son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Wouldn't you want to have everlasting life? I sure do. Because the alternative really, really is bad. And so come to Christ today. Maybe there's somebody here who would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm not sure. But I would like to be sure. I won't point you out. But I'll pray for you. Would you just slip your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Because I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. But I would like to know. Is there anyone like that? Just lift up your hand. Put it back down again. Anyone? Thank you so much. Put your hand down. If you wanted to come right after the service, and I can have someone show you from the scriptures. If you're a man, you come down here. I'll have a man show you. We have a conference room. He'll go in there and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. If you're a lady, I'll have a young lady show you exactly how you can be sure you're going to heaven. This is an invitation. Churches don't do it much anymore. But we need to respond to God's calling. And if his spirit is pulling upon your heart, then you come. Maybe it's just to pray at an old-fashioned altar. You come. Father, I pray that you bless the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.